The Holistic Counseling Podcast is part of the practice of the Practice Network, a network of podcasts seeking to help you market and grow your business and yourself. To hear other podcasts like Behind the Bite, Full of Shift, and Impact Driven Leader, go to www.practiceofthepractice.com forward slash network. Welcome to the Holistic Counseling Podcast, where you discover diverse wellness modalities, advice on growing your integrative practice, and grow confidence in being your unique self. I'm your host, Chris McDonald. I'm so glad you're here for the journey. Welcome to episode two of the Holistic Counseling Podcast. I'm your host, Chris McDonald. Today's show will bring a discussion regarding scope of practice versus scope of confidence and protecting yourself from liability as a holistic therapist. As I researched this topic, it did kind of pull me down into a rabbit hole as there are different recommendations for states. There's different recommendations based on the type of therapist or counselor you are. But I think I pulled it together and was able to give you some general guidelines that will cover most of you. But just to be safe, make sure you do check with your particular licensing board, as well as liability insurance for guidelines specific to you. Before we get started, I just wanted to double check too to see if you're able to come up with some kind of ritual to do right before you start listening to this podcast. I know it's not always possible as you may be doing something else, but if you're able just to have a quiet space, I know for those that didn't listen to episode one, I did find a ritual for myself to light a candle, to have some crystals out and have my salt lamp going just to kind of give a soothing space and do some breath work before I get started. And again, this can be part of your self-care, right? Take care of you. So let's get to it. So what I found first was the American Counseling Association Code of Ethics, C7, which says treatment modalities. I thought this would probably be a good place to start. So scientific basis for treatment. So when providing services, counselors use techniques, procedures, modalities that are grounded in theory and or have empirical or scientific foundation and any kind of innovative techniques, procedures, modalities, explaining the potential risks, benefits, and ethical considerations in using these, which should sound familiar to you as that's usually part of informed consent for general counseling, right? Also that you work to minimize any potential risks or harm when using these techniques as well as discussing the benefits. Again, it kind of goes into the same thing about that. So what does that mean for holistic therapy and therapists? The important thing that you're going to have to do is if there's something you want to get into, and hopefully if you do get some training and something, they will provide you with some of this. But if not, you got to do your own research, right, to really see what's out there. Because I did find that there are is research for things that you never even thought. <laughs> so I did find some research for, for Reiki that there are some benefits out there for helping with mental health and also essential oils. There's actually a lot more growing research with essential oils about helping with treat anxiety and depression, changing mood, which is so amazing. In yoga, there's lots of research about the potential benefits of that. Now, looking on the side of risk, right? So let's start with yoga. Um, If if you're going to get into yoga and therapy, you do have to get a separate policy to cover yourself for liability-wise. Because anytime you're doing anything physical or teaching something physical, of course, you have to be careful. Even though what I do is more gentle yoga, a lot less risk. 
still have to cover yourself just in case. And it wasn't that much. It, it really didn't add much to my policy as far as cost. But of course, <laughs> the big cost if you did get sued would be huge. So it is worth every cent of having liability insurance for that. And yoga too, obviously can cause, depending on some people and their issues, so you have to be really careful that people don't get injured. And that is something that you have to explain to clients, the risks and benefits as well uh, in the informed consent. So being careful with that, being upfront. And of course, the only thing I could think of too with essential oils is some people are sensitive to that. Even if you do put the essential oil into some kind of base, like a coconut oil to make sure it's not too strong for the skin, some people can be sensitive and have a reaction. So you do have to be cautious with some of these things that you do. Or if you just keep it as an essential oil, as aromatherapy, just to smell it, that's different. But if you're actually allowing clients to put essential oils on their skin, then that's, of course, a risk of rash or sensitivity. You know, some people are much more sensitive to things than others. So just, just keeping that in mind. So let's go into scope of practice. What does that mean? Scope of practice is is provided in law that delineates the profession, what they do as a whole, okay, and places limits upon or confines the breadth of functions of people in that profession, which you may lawfully perform. For example, so I looked up my board, which is the Licensed Clinical Mental Health Counselor Board, and it defines that we can provide assessments, diagnose, provide treatment plans, individual counseling using psychotherapeutic techniques, okay, that general kind of statement. And what's the difference between scope of practice versus scope of competence? And to be honest, I didn't know there was two of these. <laughs> so uh, this has helped me to learn this as well. I think this is really important for everybody to really be sure they are clear, <clears throat> excuse me, about this because there's two different things. Okay. Scope of competence is more individually based on what a clinician may do and is determined by one's education, training, and experience. So scope of practice, again, going back to that is general, general guidelines that, yes, you can provide counseling, but scope of competence doesn't mean you're competent in every single thing under the sun, right? For example, let's say that you're working for an agency and they refer somebody that has severe PTSD and you've never been trained, you have no experience, no supervision, that would be out of your range of competence, right? So that the best thing to do in those kind of uh, situations, of course, is to go to your supervisor and say, hey, I have no experience, no training, no supervision with this. I need to refer this person out, which can be difficult at a community mental health center. I know because I've been there and they want you to see everybody, but you do got to cover yourself, right? Because you don't want to get in and trying to <laughs> fake it when you don't know what you're doing. And again, part of this, too, is that you're not competent after one workshop or course. I think some people think, oh, so I took this one day course. I'm good, right? No. <laughs> Always remember that you need further education, further training, experience and supervision to be considered competent. And let's just say that you do learn something new and something goes awry, right? And you have a lawsuit. They're going to see, well, are you competent? in this modality. And maybe they're gonna say, oh, she took one workshop. They're like, that's not enough, right? So you do need further education, further training and experience and supervision. So just to give you an example, when I did training for brain spotting a year ago, I 
started in January at the first phase. I did some group supervision, did some continual learning on my own, did a follow-up workshop, got my second training last November, did another follow-up workshop, and another training this past January. So it's kind of keeping that the trainings in mind, the experience of supervision. And of course, I was practicing all throughout last year. So knowing that's what can bring that level of competence. And as far as out of scope of practice, let's say that you have a client that comes in your office and they're like, oh my God, my shoulders are killing me. Um, I'm in so much pain and I have so much tension. And you maybe you learned some massage therapy from your boyfriend who, <laughs> or friend who showed you some skills and you're like, wow, could I just try to use some of that to help them relax in session as a therapist? And they're coming to see you for mental health therapy. That is a big fat no. Okay. So knowing that that is not in your scope of practice and out of your scope of competence, even if you've practiced and a friend just casually showed you, don't do it. Unless you have that massage therapist certification or licensure, you got to make sure that you are doing what is within your scope of practice and scope of competence. That is definitely not in, of course, licensed clinical mental health counselor or social worker, I'm sure, massage therapy. Just wanted to give you some examples to help clarify this. Okay. So the next question is, how does one person once licensed expand her scope of competence in order to acquire what's necessary, right? In order to, to feel that, okay, I got this competence, right? It takes a lot really to really gain that competence. So again, continuing that education, not just taking that one workshop or whatever it is that maybe you read an article that's not enough, of course. I always think that one thing would not be enough. You got to be able to talk to other people about it and be able to network with people who also are skilled in these just to kind of get some insights and consultation and supervision. Reading the relevant literature, like I said at the beginning, to really do your due diligence to find out what is the research that's out there that supports this. Um, looking at relevant videos, I know I did some of that as well, to learn from other people. Reading information online, trying to find as much as you can, books, and actually scheduling that time for supervision. I know we just mentioned that, but that's so, I can't even begin to tell you how important that is. And I find, um, and again, just remembering, supervision is not just for initially licensed people. I think people are like, good, I'm good to go. I'm fully licensed. I don't need any more supervision. Bye. No, supervision should be part of your career, right? As a clinician, continuing after full licensure. And I think, especially when you learn something new, getting that supervision piece I have learned so much, so many things that are never going to be part of a course, right? Especially if you go to different, I find different people. So I went to a different supervisor than that taught the, the brain spotting course, just as an example. And she had totally different ways of looking at things and different perspectives and, and different ways to use it, treatment modalities. So definitely, so you got different people. Uh, I know there are some peer consultation groups as well. I have done those in the past just for general therapy and counseling. That is just invaluable resource and information. And of course, that's a support for you because a lot of um, the mental health therapists out there, social workers, we're out here on our own, right? It can get pretty isolating. So in addition to increasing your scope of competence, that also helps to give you some 
general support, just some other kind of ways to connect with others in the field, especially if you're doing all telehealth. It is very isolating, more so than when we used to just do in office all the time. So, so making sure to connect with others. Another point, working within scope of practice isn't just about what you do. It can be also about what you say to clients. Okay. So what do I mean by that? So making sure that you're clear in discussions with clients, but also in the form consent, having their signature and date, not to exaggerate your training. So if you do take, let's say, Reiki one training, you don't say that, oh, I'm a Reiki master. Don't do that. So be honest. You need to be upfront of what your scope of competence is, right? And where you are with that, as well as your credentials, whatever that may be. So you can never want to misrepresent yourself because that's going to get you in a whole lot of hot water if something happens. And of course, that's very unethical. Being honest and having that, having it very clear in your informed consent, again, the risk benefits and, and what it is you do. And I have a whole extra waiver actually in my forms that I give to new clients about yoga and the risk benefits and potential for injury, which is pretty low based on what I do with clients. But you still got to do that. You still got to protect yourself. I hope this makes a lot of sense. And this brings more clarity for you on the difference between scope of practice and scope of competence, as well as covering yourself from liability. I want to add a couple more things just to help you discover ways to stay within ethical guidelines. Because what I don't want to do is to discourage anyone from wanting to integrate holistic strategies and saying to themselves, oh, I can't do this because it's not fully research-based or science really hasn't proved that. So I don't want that to happen. So a couple things. First thing is, and just think about these as some options for yourself, is you could create a separate business that is just a holistic healer. So let's say that you want to do tarot cards or angelic healing or crystals, and that's not really science-based yet. So you create that separate part, and then any client that comes to you can either be part of that holistic healer piece, part of your business, or a therapy client. So then you don't really integrate those. You keep those separate. So that's one option. Now, another option is to create a combo. And what do I mean by that? So a while back, a few years back, I had seen a teenager and she came to me with some trauma and I started with some trauma-focused CBT and she was struggling with that. It didn't seem like it was helping. So then I added in some yoga into sessions and of course the breath work as well and added in energy healing too because it just seemed like she was suffering so much and had so much of this repressed trauma that was coming up. I, I really felt like I had to do the trifecta is what I call it. Um, and I told her this too. I said, we're doing the trifecta, so we're going to help get you healed. And and I got to tell you, it made such a difference. She made so much progress and her parents were just so happy to see that. And she was on that path to healing and um, to, to be able to witness that from combining all these forms of healing together. And I, I know a lot of people probably do that. Most people, I'm sure, don't just use CBT or just talk therapy and add other things. But just, just keep that as a consideration. As another option for your healing that may be combining it with some things. 
is okay to do too. And of course, energy healing, there is some research is just not fully researched as much as, of course, other things like essential oils. Just know there is some for that. But the best thing to look for is the result. And the results showed, right? With all of these treatments together, it really, really helped her. See what works. That's the important thing and how your client feels. And if they accept the healing from you and what you're doing, of course, informed consent for all the treatments that we do and make sure you include that on in your informed consent to be an ethical counselor. So I hope all this makes sense. I encourage you to think outside the box and really consider what would be the best way for me to use holistic healing in my practice to be ethical and to either weave it in or look at another way to use holistic healing because you want to be able to not deny what you're called to do in your soul. And there's a reason I think a lot of us are, are called to this. For, for some reason, this is just part of our path, right? This is where we want to go. So don't deny that part. Just just try to really be creative with this and find what works in, in a way that works for you and your practice. I know it's a lot to think about. I will post some links in the show notes with some of the research I found as well as additional information on scope of practice and scope of competence to help you further understand this and so that you are totally clear. But I want to thank you for tuning in today on this topic. I know it's not the most exciting of episodes, but I think it's one that is so important that we don't want to skip this, right? We want to make sure that we're doing the right things for the safety of our clients. And be sure to listen next week as I share tips for integrating holistic strategies into therapy, as well as how to develop your own personal practice. And remember to subscribe, rate, and review to help expand our listeners. And again, this is Chris McDonald sending each one of you much light and love. Until next time, take care. If you're loving the show, will you rate, review, and subscribe on your favorite podcast platform? We just started this and that helps other people find this show. Also, if you're feeling uncertain about your modalities and you want to build your confidence to be your unique self, I want you to join my free email course, Becoming a Holistic Counselor, over at holisticcounselingpodcast.com. In my Becoming a Holistic Counselor course, you'll get tips for adding integrative care into your practice, what training you need and don't, and the know-how to attract your ideal holistic clients. If this sounds like the direction you are headed, sign up at holisticcounselingpodcast.com. This podcast is designed to provide accurate and authoritative information in regards to the subject matter covered. It is given with the understanding that neither the host, the publisher, or the guests are rendering legal, accounting, clinical, or any other professional information. If you want a professional, you should find one.